thank the worship team for a beautiful time of worship that has stirred my heart this morning. I want to welcome all of you to Woven Covenant Church. If you're here for Woven Church, you're at the right place. I am Pastor Wayne Park. I'm the lead pastor. And uh, we've been planting this church together now for a year and a half, and it's been a wonderful journey, ups and downs. But nonetheless, um, to see a multi-ethnic church grow in an, an incredibly um, international part of this country, really, um, this, the sense of mission is overwhelming me to the sense that I realize this is bigger than me, and it's just a huge privilege to be a part of it. So I want to welcome you to a woven multi-ethnic church here in the suburbs of West Houston. So if you've been wondering why a lot of the music has been talking about um, sin and forgiveness and confession and repentance, the reason for that is because we've been talking through a series called Practical Prayer, and we started about four weeks back with the Lord's Prayer. We're learning how to pray. The disciples said, teach us how to pray. And uh, Jesus taught them, uh, the, he gave them words to say, and he said, when you pray, go into an inner room. So we talked about the place of prayer as one thing. Uh, you need to have a regular secret place. It's that important. The week after that, we learned something called a woven prayer of examine. By the way, all of these prayers you can find online on our website at wovenchurch.org and then backslash practical prayer. And on that page, you'll see these prayers written out um, word for word as well as in an audio format to help you um, perhaps with your commute. Um, the woven prayer of examine is something that we've learned to pray either at the close of the day or at the start of the day. Words that will help you get in the right frame of mind, words that will help you look back and examine what God's been doing and His presence throughout the day. After that, we learned how to pray intermittently throughout our sticky and hot and heavy and the, the craziness of life through meditative prayers. Prayers like, Lord Jesus Christ, Son of God, have mercy on me, a sinner. Lord Jesus Christ, Son of God, have mercy on me, a sinner. Meditative prayers we learned. Last week we learned a special prayer of surrender um, that uh, we borrowed, if I can say that, from AA, from Alcoholics Anonymous. God, I offer myself to Thee to build with me and to do with me as Thou wilt. Relieve me of the bondage of self that I may better do thy will. Take away my difficulties that victory over them may bear witness to those I would help of thy power, thy love, thy way of life. May I do thy will always. And that, met, that uh, prayer of surrender, I think, goes hand in hand with today's topic, which is a prayer of repentance. And so the songs, as we sang songs of confession and repentance, as I was thinking through this series, I realized we have to have one day where we talk about this special, very special topic of repentance and confession. It's not a fun subject to talk about, and so in order to kind of set the playing field, I'd like to open up with a light anecdote, a light story that will perhaps set the stage for this conversation about confession and repentance. A telemarketer once called a house, and when he called this house, a, 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 the phone picked up and a, a little voice answered, Hello? And the telemarketer said, Hello, what's your name? And still whispering, the little voice said, Jimmy. And he said, How old are you, Jimmy? He said, I'm four. 
okay, all right, good. Is mommy home? Is mommy, can I talk to mommy? He says, yes, mommy's busy. Mom's busy. Okay, what about daddy? Is daddy home? And he says, daddy's busy too. So he says, okay, well, who else is there that I can talk to, Jimmy? And he says, the police. And then he goes, what? Wait, the police? Sensing something is really wrong. He says, all right, maybe I should speak to, can I speak to one of the police officers? They're busy. He says, who else is there? The firemen? He says, I really need to talk to somebody. This is very important. May I speak with a fire? They're all busy. He says, Jimmy, all those people in your house, your mom, your dad, the firemen, the police, and they're all so busy. Why can't I talk to any of them? What are they doing? And he says, looking for me. (laughs) And this whole thing about hiding, I think, sets the stage. uh, And I'm glad to hear you laughing because it's a heavy topic Confession is not something that I'm going to force or attempt to weed out of you. It's more about this simple idea that goes all the way back to the Garden of Eden when Adam and Eve did something wrong. They done something wrong. And when God says, where are you? Now, this is omniscient God. He knows where they are physically, locationally. This is not a locational physical question. It's a spiritual question. And for that matter, it wasn't for God. It was for them. Child, where are you today? Where's your soul at this moment? I'm hiding. Why are you hiding? I'm ashamed of something. What is it that you're hiding? I don't want people to know. Why don't you want to why don't you want people to know? My kid would say, I'm shy. (laughs) I'm embarrassed. I think you'll judge me. And the heart of confession really begins in this place of shame and judgment. I can speak for myself and for those of us here that come from Asian, Ameri- Asian cultures and Asian background. Again, this applies to everybody, but I think uniquely for Asian Americans, we come from shame-based cultures. And we're not inclined to get the ugly out. We're not inclined to talk about these things because of the accompanying shame. And that's a hindrance. It applies to all cultures. And so I want to talk about shame. I want to talk about confession along two headings this morning as we talk about a prayer of repentance. Those two headings and two halves in your bulletin, the first is to confess or to be caught. To confess or to be caught. And the second is the true heart of repentance. It's my belief that repentance is the secret sauce the secret sauce when it comes to revival and a new work of God in your life, or if you're coming back to the church for the first time after a long time, the ingredient that helps break through is repentance. But in order to talk about that, I think it's a sensitive subject. I think we first need to talk about that first heading, to confess or to be caught. To confess or to be caught. And with that, I'd like to read from John chapter 8, Verses 1 to 4, a verse that has moved me profoundly the last few weeks. In John chapter 8, verse 1, Jesus went to the Mount of Olives. And early in the morning, he came back into the temple, and all the people were coming to him. And Jesus sat down, and he began to teach them. And in verse 3, the scribes and the Pharisees brought a woman caught in adultery, and having set her in the center of the court, they said to him, Teacher, This woman has been caught in adultery in the very act. 
Now, I want you to picture this. Jesus is back in the temple already making waves, already controversial, and he's in the court, and they bring into the center a woman probably dragged in wearing bedraggled clothes, maybe beaten a couple of times, a couple of bruises, and, I mean, being caught in the act. Lord knows what she's wearing at that moment. And when she shows up on the scene, they set her in the center of the court, the embodiment of shame, of everything exposed. I know today is Super Bowl Sunday, and we were talking about, we were talking about the, the uh, for some reason today seems to be the most heavily, the, the how can I say this? It's, it's the day when human trafficking is at its worst. And not just in the host city, where the game is taking place, but all around the country for some reason. And it's on this day where the police and the vice squad, they, they get together and, and they get empowered and they, 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 they make mass arrests. Oftentimes, unfortunately, it's the woman caught in adultery that's set in the center. She's in trouble and for some reason the John goes away free. The shame and the exposure the red-hot heat in her face as she stands in the middle surrounded by men. Men. You see, women were not allowed in the court. And as men pointed fingers at the one lone woman in the center, she was caught red-handed. She'd done it. She did it. Technically, she's guilty. When it comes to sin, when it comes to whatever it is, whatever your hurt, habit, or hang-up, whatever your drug of choice is, there's two responses to a moment like this. Two responses is, number one, we can resolve to hide it better so that next time we won't get caught. Does that make sense? Wow, you caught me. I have, uh, I have uh, a problem with, with chocolate, let's say. And my wife says, I've caught you eating chocolate that dark chocolate, you've gotten into that stuff. And I say, next time I'm going to hide my stash better. I'm going to hide it deeper where she can't get at it so I won't get in trouble. That's one thing we can do. We can resolve to hide it better. The second thing we can do is re realize that we've been caught red-handed and decide to have a change of heart and decide, well, there's no use hiding it anymore. Might as well work on this area of my life. I can guarantee that one of those is the worst of the two options. One of those is the worst of two options. You see, the act of confession is simply this, and this is the application and the fill in the blank. It's getting the ugly out before the ugly gets out. Friends, the, the nature of sin is it's, it's, it's an erupting infection. And if we don't get the ugly out, if we don't express the pus, the, the infection underneath the thin layer of skin, then it will get out. Get the ugly out before the ugly gets out. And what we're talking about here is the discipline of confession. I'll call it the practice of confession. For any of you that do this the first time and you decide, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to confess I guarantee you will not get all of the ugly out the first time. I guarantee. I think that this practice, I think it's an ongoing thing. 
I think the more we learn to find a safe place, and this is very important, finding a safe place of confession, whether it's to a pastor or to a friend. And I understand, you know, we're, we're, a, we're still a small church as we grow little by little. You know, if we were a larger church, maybe it would be a little bit easier to talk to the pastor. There would be more anonymity. Whatever the case may be, it's important to find a safe place, whether it's to a pastor, a therapist, a spiritual director, a friend, a leader. And this is the first guideline to confession and the first fill in the blank. Confess upwards. It's necessary when it comes to the practice of confession to find a safe person. To confess to somebody that can help you. To confess to someone that is able to listen and keep your, your uh, uh, confidentiality. Now, I actually am bound to keep confidentiality by my oath as a minister. But if you don't want to speak to me, I fully understand. There was a time in my life where I, when I was a young man, a college student, I needed to confess something. I felt so convicted, but I couldn't confess it to the senior pastor. I was terrified of him. I was scared. <laughs> and so I understand that barrier. I'm, I'm not judging it. And so I chose instead to, to, to talk to one of the intern pastors, one of the junior pastors, and he was just maybe 10 years older than myself at that time. I was still relatively young. And the irony is, I remember as I shared with him, and I mustered up all my courage, it, it was still scary, and as I began to talk about some of the things I had been doing and the struggles I had, I realized that here was a broken man also struggling with very similar things. And that disheartened me. And I remember thinking to myself, oh goodness, I mean... Maybe this thing won't go away. Maybe this struggle, maybe sin is something that we just have to wrestle with for the rest of our lives. I don't think that that's necessarily true. I think that there is progressive victory over sin. I think finding a way to grow, I think, that's, I think what we're talking about is the practice of ongoing confession. Confess upwards. Find someone that's safe to confess, preferably that will not confess back to you. The problem with that incident is this pastor confessed right back at me the same sin. And that actually hurt me more than it helped. Find someone that you can confess to that will not see you as a peer, that will be able to walk with you, that will be able to listen and even help you. Confessing goes upwards. I really believe that confessing is something that must be done well. When we get the ugly out, when we make a practice of getting the ugly out, a lot of it, I think, is finding the right person to talk to. Confess upwards. It reminds me of a scene in a movie, um, Saving Private Ryan, and there's a part where Tom Hanks playing Captain Miller, they're walking along this journey, they're looking for Private Ryan. And as they're looking for Private Ryan, you know, these guys are saying, you know, this, this mission, it's, it's, it's uh, well, I can't repeat the actual word they use, but they say this, this, this mission is, it's, it's, um, it's not worth it. Captain, what do you think about this mission? And he says, Ryben, I don't gripe to you, I'm a captain. 
There's a chain of command. Gripes go up, not down, always up. You gripe to me, I gripe to my superior officer, so on and so on. I don't gripe to you. I don't gripe in front of you. You should know that as a ranger. And then he says, well, let's just say I was a, I was a general. If I was a general, then what would you say to me? And he says, I think this is a fine mission, sir. I think this is a very worthwhile thing. And, you know, and, you know, um, and I think the point being that confession is something as an art. It, needs, it's, it, it really is an art. It's something that I think takes a lot of practice. Hearing confession also is an art. And it must be done in such a way that A, it's safe, and B, it has a sufficient bite to it. A, confession needs to be safe. You need to find a place and a person that you feel you can safely confess to in an ongoing way so you can build this practice of getting the ugly out. Getting the ugly out is a practice. But the second thing is it's still, the thing is, in when, when it comes to getting the ugly out, it's a chemical reaction. And just like when a chemical reaction occurs, gases are released. You know what gets released in the chemical reaction of confession is shame. Because at the first moment, as that gush of shame comes out, and you're like, I can't believe I just told you that. That's so embarrassing. But the thing is, once it gets out, we realize that's exactly what I needed. And it wasn't so bad as I thought. Well, sometimes it really is bad, but it still needs to get out. The chemical reaction is shame. What needs to come out is that very thing. We know we're doing confession correctly when we feel the bite of it. And when there's a little bit of tooth to confession, I think that is when we know we're doing it right. The second guideline to confession is watch out for dumping. Watch out for dumping. Um, I've been in scenarios where I'd be at church or some meeting and one of the leaders or a pastor even would get in the front, right? This is why I'm talking about a chain of command when it comes to confession, why you confess upwards. And a leader of the church would come forward and all of a sudden confess some really long-standing sexual sin. Why is it always sexual sin? What about lying? Or cheating on our taxes? What about anger and revenge? What about those things? Why is it that for some reason sexual sin is always heightened to the most important thing? You see, at the cross, it's a level playing field. But for some reason, for us Christians, it's, it's the sex thing that becomes the most taboo thing. And what happens is there's this sense of dumping that occurs where, where this poor individual who's wrestling with so much guilt and kind of dumps his or her sexual sin. And as a result, everybody is kind of left standing and wondering, what do we do with that? Am I supposed to confess too? And it doesn't in turn result in revival. It doesn't result, you know, I mean, there's a sense where, great, you've confessed. But does that lead to a termination of the behavior? Not necessarily. Don't, conf- don't dump. Um, don't dump. Watch out for dumping is the second guideline to confession. Because in the end, what's the purpose of confession? It's not just relieving a guilty conscience, but in the end, the purpose is cessation of the behavior. In the end, the purpose of confession is termination of a certain pattern or a certain, certain pattern of behavior. That is the purpose And that's the third guideline. You know what confession really is about? 
it's bearing fruit in keeping with repentance. When the, when the Pharisees came out to see John the Baptist and they wanted to be baptized by him, man, I mean, I, I, you know, he, he cut to the chase and he'd say, guys, you're here. You want to get the waters. But the thing is, bear fruit in keeping with repentance. Bear fruit in keeping with repentance. Don't just dump in an attempt to relieve a guilty conscience because really that's just self-serving. The purpose of that is to serve self. Bear fruit in keeping with repentance. As I wrap up this first heading, I don't know what God is speaking to you. As I look around, you know your heart better than me. You know what's going on in your life. I'm not out to kind of milk the secret information. I'm not trying to get your confession. That's not my purpose. James chapter 5 says it like this. Confess your sins to one another and pray for one another so that you will be healed. Healed. It's not for more information. It's not to get the dirty and the down low and the gossip. It's for you, my beloved friends, my beloved church. It heals you. It helps you. And confession it will do us all good. We don't do it well in the Protestant church, and maybe we can find a system to do it better. I'm open to suggestions, honestly. In the end, I will say this. Sin is a serious thing. Uh, a theologian named John Owen once put it like this. He said, be killing sin or it will be killing you. Kill sin or one day it will kill you. Oh, well, it's just a little thing. What's one look? I can erase the history on my browser afterwards, right? Or what's a, couple, what's a little bit of cheating on my taxes? It's, it's not a big deal. It's just a little lie. It's a little white lie. Or I, I flew off the handle. Is that such a big deal? Every now and then I should be entitled to rage. I think it comes back. I think the measure we use is the measure we get. I think the way we uh, do unto others will be done unto us. It comes back. Be killing sin or it will be killing you. And however that convicts you, friends, I take no pleasure in filling your hearts with dread. But maybe that's the Holy Spirit. That's the Holy Spirit. But here's the hope and the message that I want to finish on. The heart of repentance. The second heading. The second heading is this. John chapter 5. I'm um, John chapter 8, verse 5. Hear the heart of repentance. The heart of repentance is not this. Now in the law, Moses commanded us to stone such women. What then do you say? And they were saying this to test Jesus so that they might have grounds for accusing him. I think there are no more condemning words in the New Testament than those four words in sequence. In the law, Moses. In the law, Moses. There are no more condemning words, I think, than those words. In the Bible, it says. And when those words are used to judge us, many times it falls with heaviness. And here's the key word, fear. 
Right now you're thinking, Pastor Wayne said, be killing sin or it will kill me. I'm scared. I'm scared that the ugly will get out before I get, I'm able to get the ugly out. I'm scared, what will this do to my marriage? What will this do to my career? What will this do to my relationships? What will this do to my, my, my uh, credit report? What will this do to my reputation? But here's the thing. The motivation, the motivation, the motivation for repentance, it might start out as fear, but in the end, it will change into something else. I have a friend who, because of an affair, almost lost his marriage. Almost lost his marriage, lost his children, lost everything, his standing in the church community. And during that time, he was, there's there's so many colorful words that I could use, but he was scared out of his wits. So scared that he was going to lose everything, and out of fear, and to save his marriage, he went to therapy, he went into a support group, he decided to get help in various areas It was fear that initially drove him. But the thing is, you can't live on fear. Fear will not keep him from sleeping around again. Fear will not keep you motivated to do the right thing. Fear is not an adequate motivator in the long run. It works at first. It has a little bit of bite to it. But you have to find something to take the place of fear. What is it that will help us to live an ethical Christian life? What is it that will help us to live in a way that's, 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 that's ethical, that, that's, that's sanctifying? What is it? The answer, I think, is right here when we read what Jesus does. In verse 6, he stoops down and with his finger starts writing on the ground. There are many theories about what he writes. People, some say that he wrote the Ten Commandments. Others say he wrote the sins of the people. We don't know. But as he's writing on the ground and they persist in saying, in the law Moses, it says in the Bible. And in the midst of that fear, as she's sitting there quaking, Jesus straightens up. And stands in front of her and says, well, hey guys, the first person that doesn't have any sin, be my guest. Throw a stone. We here in the church, I think we really, we really make some sins to be, the worse, to be worse than others. Christianity at large, for some reason, is obsessed with certain things But we must remember, and this is the fill in the blank, there is a level playing field at the cross. There is a level playing field at the cross. When Jesus said, whoever whoever is without sin, go ahead and throw the first stone. What he's saying is we've made some things more taboo than others when the reality is we are all broken and we fail to realize that the ugly, the ugly is present deep within all of us. There is a level playing field at the cross. And Jesus stoops down again in verse 8. And he writes again. And one by one, you see the older men begin to leave the court. And then the younger ones. And finally, all that's left is Jesus alone with the woman. Straightening up in verse 10, Jesus said to her, Woman, Where are your accusers? Does nobody condemn you? And she says, nobody, Lord. And Jesus says these words that strike to the core of my being. I don't condemn you either. Friends, fear 
is just the beginning. It's not, in long, it's not an adequate long-term motivator. The long-term motivator for repentance is love. The long-term motivator for change, for repentance, are these words. I don't condemn you. I protect you. I cherish you. I'm standing here, and I'm not letting them harm you. And as she stands in the center, dumbfounded, he tells her, go and sin no more. He says, change your life now. Change your life. Do you hear the basis, the basis of change? It comes from love, not fear, not fear of reprisal, of punishment, of shame. It comes from this place of love. Do you think she was motivated at that moment to turn her life around and to follow Jesus? I think so. I think so. Any worthy human being that just experienced a trial like that and to see what Jesus did in her life, to see what Jesus does in your life, I think the result is, yes, I will sin no more. I will go forth and I will do my best to change my life. Romans chapter 2, verse 4, it says, Do you think lightly of the riches of his kindness and tolerance and patience, not knowing that the kindness of God leads you to repentance? Listen to those words, kindness, tolerance, patience. What leads us to repentance? The kindness of God. say one last thing and then we'll close with a prayer of repentance that last thing is this for me having grown up in an ethnic church my entire life in a Korean American community confession was something that just was not really done often it was very taboo because we had appearances to keep up we had to look good every Sunday. A suit that was worn to church became like a suit of armor. And the vehicles that we drove to church became like tanks to protect us from exposure. And what was really deep inside festered in so many families, in so many Korean families. And when we came out to plant this church and we had this vision of planting a multi-ethnic church, I had to wrestle with my own notions and my own notions about what propriety is, about who is accepted. It's imperative for us as a church to be a place of kindness, tolerance, and patience, of love. I'm not saying we compromise ethics because Jesus doesn't do that. But Jesus does not say, first of all, young woman, in the law Moses. He says, I don't condemn you. He protects her. And then he says, go and sin no more. Let us be the church as we reach out to this community. And friends, we all got to do it. I want every single one of you in this coming season, in this year, to reach out with the love of Christ to somebody in this community with kindness, tolerance, and patience. And let's see how accepting we are here at Woven. Let's test ourselves. Let's see how we can really be a church where kindness leads to repentance. If you can close your eyes, 
at this time, you might be wondering why I didn't actually teach a prayer of repentance. The reason for that is because I can't give you words for this. I've given you words before for a prayer of examine or other types of prayer, but a prayer of repentance, you know what? Nothing beats your words. And it simply can start out by saying, God, I confess. And God will say, I know. Child, I know. I saw it. I saw it all. I don't judge you. I want to help you. Thank you for telling the truth to me. I want to push the envelope even a little further right now and just say, maybe there's something that you're, you're saying, well, no, 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 I'm fine. I'm fine. It's not my fault. I'm okay. It's not me. I want to push the envelope and say, maybe do a little bit more self-examination. Is there something that is on your side of the road that needs cleaning up? Is there something deep within that if you admit to it, you'd feel the red-hot shame in your face? Is there something within, friends, look, I'm not a masochist. I'm not interested in making you feel bad, but I am interested in us being a growing, healing church and a place of healing. All right, I'll stop talking. Whatever that is, just start with those words, I confess. Take it from me. You might even want to adopt a physical, physical posture of hands lifted outwards like this. God, I was resentful today. I confess. God, I confess. I bore grudges. I was angry. I was a terrible person to be around. I struggled with this. I struggled with that. Help me now to bear fruit in keeping with repentance. Take it now and make it your words. Lord, at this time, there is nothing that we have done that could make you think less of us. 
There's nothing in this room that's new under the sun. There's nothing that's so bad that it's unforgivable. There's nothing that surprises you. Lord, at this time, as we hear the words that you spoke to the woman, we hear you speaking to us today. There is an ugly inside of me, Lord, inside of us. And I have been avoiding it, denying it, repressing it, or rationalizing it away. Let today be the beginning of a new healing. In your heart, if you're led, you can repeat after me this prayer. Lord Jesus, I need you to help me get through this. I am restless, I'm irritable, I'm lost, I'm discontent. I pray that today you would give me an inspiration, some kind of intuitive thought or decision. Show me the higher road and help me to take it. I choose you now to be my Lord and Savior from this moment and eternity. I surrender myself to you in this prayer of repentance. In Jesus' name.